Welcome to the Slim and Satisfied podcast. I'm your host, Daphna Chazen. Over the past decade, I've helped hundreds of women stop dieting and start living a life that is truly healthy, enjoyable, and delicious. If you've struggled with weight and have yet to find the right solution to your health concerns, you're in the right place. Each week, I'm going to share my best tips, tricks, and strategies to eating well without ever feeling confined by diet rules or short-term fixes. Join me as I walk you through my science-based, practical tips that will transform your habits for good. My down-to-earth, no-nonsense approach is going to get you the results you've been craving all along. So, are you ready? Let's get started. Hey there, and welcome back to Episode 6 of the Slim and Satisfied Podcast. I am your host, Daphna Chazen, and thanks again for joining me today. I recently saw a lot of media coverage for a new study that looked at breakfast consumption, and the headlines said that breakfast can contribute to weight gain and hinder weight loss. Of course, that grabbed my attention right away, so today I wanted to dedicate a full episode to talking about breakfast, telling you what the research really shows us, and discussing some key things to consider regarding breakfast. And I have a super special freebie to go along with today's show, so make sure you stick around until the end. I'm going to tell you all about it. So let's jump right into discussing the recent review article that was published and concluded that eating breakfast does not help people lose weight. This was a summary of 13 randomized controlled trials that were conducted at different times over the past 28 years. Looking at randomized control trials essentially means that you're looking at a study where the participants were divided into two groups, one that consumed breakfast and the other group skipped breakfast. Now, it's important to know that these studies, remember there were 13 of them, included people of different ages, genders, and body sizes, as well as people who ate all different kinds of breakfasts. So right off the bat, there are some issues here since we can't accurately draw conclusions by comparing one study where people consumed, for example, a bagel to another study where participants drank a protein shake as a meal. These are two very nutritionally different foods that make a big difference. Also, these 13 studies that were looked at varied greatly in length. We typically look at a period of 12 weeks before we can conclude if any intervention produced a true weight loss outcome for someone. And most of these studies didn't last that long. I believe actually only two of them did last for 12 weeks or more, which is another limitation that may have affected the results. But let's put all this aside for now and move on to talking about what this review article showed. The researchers' big conclusion from aggregating these data is that breakfast does not help individuals lose weight. In fact, they showed that participants who ate breakfast consumed more calories than the people who skipped it, 260 additional calories to be exact, and that breakfast skippers were a little shy of a pound, yes, just one pound, lighter than the people who ate breakfast regularly. They also concluded that people who skipped breakfast do not report being hungrier than those people who are eating a morning meal. So 
while the headlines were pretty dramatic, and I have a couple of my friends who have always skipped breakfast and sent me a pretty funny, I told you so, text message, I wasn't that impressed with this study, and I think it's a little bit misleading. So let's break it down a bit. First thing to point out right away is that if we're just looking at weight, it's probably wise for people who are at a healthy weight and skip breakfast to continue to do so. So this is one true outcome that I think came out of this study and I do agree with. So I'm in agreement with this article that someone shouldn't be adding breakfast to to their day if they're able to manage their weight just fine without it. If you're one of these people and you're able to see good weight loss, you've made sure that you're getting good nutrition and you skip eating breakfast for whatever reason, maybe it's time constraints, maybe you're not hungry in the morning or you just dislike breakfast food, I'd say keep doing what you're doing. No need to change it one bit. If this is your situation right now and you feel like you are able to lose weight without having breakfast, it essentially means that you're taking in a number of calories that's below what your body needs for weight maintenance. So every time you're creating a calorie deficit, and again, I'm assuming that your food plan is full of nutrition and you've evaluated it for quality, in that case, if you're losing weight on that plan, you don't need to add breakfast. You don't need to worry about the fact that you skip breakfast because, again, it's nutritionally complete. It's producing the right outcome for you. And I'm assuming that you're feeling comfortable and not hungry skipping that one breakfast meal. So there's no issue whatsoever with that. And if you want to learn more about calories, make sure you go back to episode number four, where I spoke about calories, why they still matter, and what kind of things to think about when you're evaluating your caloric intake for the day. Now, one of the things that I think was most confusing about the headlines that came out of this article was that it showed that breakfast doesn't help people lose weight, But it doesn't mean that if you're currently eating breakfast and gaining weight that you should omit it. So if you're eating breakfast and your weight keeps going up or staying the same, but you want it to go down, I wouldn't start skipping breakfast as a weight loss strategy because that's likely not going to work and will almost definitely backfire. The reason I believe it wouldn't work is that skipping breakfast and not feeling hungry later on in the day is not most people's experience. Having been in this nutrition and weight loss world for about 10 years, I can count the number of people who skip breakfast intentionally and lose weight successfully on one hand. It's a very select bunch. So it's highly likely that When someone skips breakfast, they do experience excessive hunger, food cravings, and overeating later on in their day on a regular basis. And of course, those are all things that make it very hard to keep weight in the healthy ranges. So I really think the data in this review article is somewhat flawed, and there's a little more research to be done before we can come out with a statement about breakfast being a contributor to weight gain. We're just not quite there yet as far as the evidence. Not to mention, a difference of less than one pound may very well be statistically significant in the research world, but... I don't know about you, I'd rather eat a little bit more food and have a nice breakfast in my day if it only means that I'm one extra pound heavier. It's just not that big of a difference for me. 
That being said, I do want to emphasize that everybody is different. I have clients who skip breakfast and do well, and I have many clients who eat a really large breakfast and still see great weight loss. It really does depend. So to sum up this article, starting to eat breakfast to produce weight loss is definitely not a good idea since the data shows that people who eat breakfast do not necessarily consume less calories later in the day, nor are they less hungry. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that breakfast in and of itself is preventing weight loss, nor does it mean that you should stop eating it to lose weight more easily. That's not what this article showed at all. One of the things that I get asked about a lot recently is skipping breakfast as part of an intermittent fasting protocol. So I'd like to touch on that a little bit. There are studies that clearly demonstrate that the benefits of intermittent fasting on metabolic health are pretty significant. Things like blood sugar goes down, blood pressure goes down, as well as our cardiovascular health does improve. And I work with many women with PCOS who deal with insulin resistance. So I'd like to touch on skipping breakfast as a way to manage that. My research in this area shows that it's more beneficial to end your eating window early in the evening than start it later in the morning. And that's specifically for your insulin response. So what I mean by this is that I usually recommend finishing dinner by 6 p.m. and resuming eating around 9 a.m. the next day, which would give you about a 14 to 16 hour fast And I'm a big proponent of an evening fast. I do this myself most days of the week, and I love it. It has helped me a lot with digestive issues, nighttime cravings, as well as fluid retention. The main reason I discourage my PCOS clients from fasting in the morning is that prolonged morning fasts, which essentially extend the nighttime fast that most people have naturally due to sleep, can actually make insulin resistance worse. When we sleep, the body uses our glycogen liver stores for energy. This is a form of carbohydrate storage that the body uses during period of fasting. Usually, once these stores are depleted, which can happen overnight, the body will then use fat as an energy source. Whenever we break down fat, the body releases free fatty acids into the bloodstream. And having these fatty acids in the blood means that they can be used for energy. However, studies show that they do interfere with the action of insulin quite a bit. So if I have PCOS, chances are that my body is resistant to insulin to begin with, which means that after I eat carbohydrates and they break down to sugar, and it doesn't matter what type of carbohydrate I ate, they always eventually will break down to sugar, I'm not going to be able to get that sugar into my cells and use it for energy. That's the role of insulin. So I don't want those blood sugar molecules circulating in my blood. I want insulin to come in and kind of let them into the cells where they can be used for energy, supply muscles and other cells with energy, as opposed to just circulating in my blood and raising my blood sugar levels. If on top of this, I also fast in the morning, so on top of my baseline insulin resistance from PCOS, which is one of the core things that we see with PCOS, my body, if I fasted, will release fatty acids into the bloodstream. And once I do eat lunch, 
my body will release even more insulin to process any carbohydrates in my meal. But since the concentration of those fats in my blood is already high, insulin is even less able to do its job properly. And by the way, we see a spike in insulin, not just with refined carbohydrates like bread or sweets. We also see a response with things like beans, of course, fruit, as well as even protein. Things like beef or chicken, believe it or not, do also create an insulin response. So if I fasted all night and I continue to fast during the morning and the first thing that I eat is around lunchtime, say at 1 p.m., my insulin levels are already going to be high because of insulin resistance. If I have free fatty acids that have been released during the fast into my bloodstream, they're still going to be there. And once I eat my meal and more insulin comes into the system, it's even less able to do its job because those free fatty acids are getting in the way and preventing insulin from having that right communication with the blood sugar and entering that that blood sugar into the cells. So fasting in the morning will often make a woman with PCOS even more insulin resistant, regardless of what she eats in the feeding window. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode number two, where I spoke about five smart ways to eat carbs, please go ahead and check it out since there's tons of good info there about how to incorporate carbohydrates into your diet healthfully, and that's going to help with insulin levels. Okay, so let's assume that you do want to have breakfast and lose weight at the same time. What would be the best way to go about this? One of the biggest factors in weight loss success is protein intake, and I'm sure this is not the first time you hear this. Even though most traditional breakfast foods are super carby, having a protein breakfast is likely the best choice for your weight management. So we know that traditional breakfast food is not always the healthiest, and what we want to look at is when we think about breakfast, the composition of that breakfast, what we eat, how much we eat, and how we combine foods together really does matter. So it's not just about saying, okay, I ate breakfast. It's really important to look at what that breakfast was made out of. If it's you know including traditional breakfast foods like pancakes or waffles or bagels and things like that, it's probably not the best way to go. The reason that we want to incorporate protein into that meal in higher amounts, probably higher amounts that you're thinking about, and I'm going to share exactly what that number is, but the reason that we want protein in that meal is that protein gives us long-lasting satiety. That's fullness. That's a feeling of feeling full, right? So it can help reduce the amount of calories that we consume later in the day if we're feeling satiated, if we're feeling full after breakfast, and that's going to come by eating a good amount of protein, that's going to give us a lot of mileage, and I'm probably not going to need to snack, and I'm probably going to make it about four or five hours very comfortably until my next meal. A lot of times when people eat cereal, and I see this all the time in my practice, cereal or bread or bagels or things that are more refined, they get hungry an hour or two after they eat breakfast and then they need to eat again. And that's where we see a lot of calories accumulate in a very short period of time. 
The reason that a high-protein breakfast is going to give you this extended feeling of fullness is that it takes longer for the body to break down protein. So once you eat protein, it's going to stay in the system for several hours and the body is going to break it down very slowly, which is what gives us the feeling of fullness. A good amount of protein that's going to give you this extended fullness feeling is about 20 to 30 grams in one meal. That's the equivalent of a two-egg omelet, for example, and a cup of Greek yogurt. Very doable. One of the studies I came across when I was preparing for today's episode showed that a breakfast where eggs were the main dish produced a five-pound greater weight loss when compared to a breakfast where the main dish, dish was toast. So they compared eating toast to eating eggs, and after 12 12 weeks, the people who ate the eggs lost five pounds more than the other group. That's pretty significant. What was also interesting is that when breakfast was larger, meaning it contained more calories, it produced better weight loss than a lower-calorie meal with the same amount of protein. So there's something to be said for calories and for the size of your meal as well, And this goes along with what I often recommend, which is making breakfast and lunch meals your larger meals and having a smaller, more snack-like dinner. Okay, another super important component of breakfast in addition to protein is fiber. If you have a meal that has the 20 to 30 grams of protein and at least 8 to 10 grams of fiber, you're going to feel a whole lot differently during the day. You'll likely feel more comfortable as far as your hunger, you'll have less cravings, and you'll be able to push and control your meals a lot more easily since your breakfast will be filling and will prevent those peaks and valleys in your blood sugar. Both protein and fiber slow down the absorption of glucose, which is the form of sugar that all carbs break down to, into the bloodstream. So when we eat a carbohydrate and it breaks down into sugar, If I also ate protein with that meal or if that carbohydrate contained fiber, let's take a simple example like whole wheat bread, that blood sugar is not going to spike. It's not going to peak and then dip very, very low. It's going to be a much more steady rise and drop in my blood sugar. And when we eat food that's low in fiber and the blood sugar rises very high and drops very quickly... This is where we usually feel an urge to eat in the form of a craving for a specific food. So if we add a protein or if we have a a carbohydrate that's containing a good amount of fiber, we're not going to get those peaks and valleys, we're not going to get sudden hunger, and we're not going to get food cravings that are usually specific to less healthy stuff like crunchy and salty food or sweets. So we should, of course, be eating fiber at every meal, and you can go back again to episode two where I spoke about this and I discussed fiber in detail, but breakfast is a particularly good place to add fiber, and there are a couple reasons for this, and I'm going to tell you exactly what fiber-containing foods work best here. So the first reason that breakfast is a great place to add fiber, in addition to the satiety benefits that we just spoke about, as well as other benefits that you may know about regarding fiber, such as regularity and reducing cholesterol, adding fiber at breakfast will essentially replace 
any other refined carbohydrates and less healthy breakfast foods like muffins or pancakes and syrup that you're currently eating. So this may sound a little silly and you're probably are saying, wait, what? I don't eat these foods anyway or I eat them very infrequently. But once you start prioritizing those higher fiber foods, they're naturally going to weed out a lot of the refined carbohydrates in your day because you're going to be full you're not gonna have room for them, and you're gonna prioritize the healthier fiber-containing foods, and that's gonna naturally make you eat less of the other stuff. So that's definitely a benefit. Number two is that adding a specific type of fiber, and that fiber is both soluble and fermentable, and I'm gonna explain, is especially beneficial. So remember those free fatty acids that make insulin resistance worse, what we talked about a few minutes ago? Well, studies show that when we eat the right amount of this specific type of fiber, the bacteria in the gut ferments it and produces something called short-chain fatty acids. And those short-chain fatty acids block the release of the free fatty acids. So I know it's getting very technical. Let's simplify this a little bit. Here's what I want you to remember. Eating soluble fiber that's fermentable, and these are things like oat fiber, wheat bran, so whole wheat stuff, things like oatmeal. And if you don't like oatmeal, it doesn't mean that you can't get the benefits of oat fiber. There are many breads and cereals that are made with oat fiber. So you want to look at the label and make sure that oat fiber, oat flour is the first ingredient. That's if you don't like oats um, in and of themselves, as well as certain fruits and vegetables are a very powerful way to reduce insulin. So this kind of fiber that's fermentable is found in all of these foods, and it can really help make the body more sensitive to insulin. For women with PCOS, this is often the key to reducing symptoms, improving chances of ovulation, and losing weight much more easily. So whenever we eat this specific type of fiber that's soluble, and fermentable, we get those benefits of blocking the action or the harmful action of the free fatty acids. And there are actually studies that show better insulin sensitivity after just 24 hours of eating more fermentable fiber. So this can make a big difference very, very quickly. A bonus benefit of the fermentable fibers is that they reduce IBS symptoms because they improve the makeup of our gut bacteria population. So basically, fermentable fibers are called fermentable fibers because when we eat them and the body breaks them down in the gut, the gut bacteria, probiotics, as you may know them, the friendly gut bacteria, ferments them. It feeds on these carbohydrates and it ferments them, and the byproduct of that is those short-chain fatty acids, which are very beneficial for our health. So when we eat more of these fermentable fibers, we're giving more food to the friendly gut bacteria so that they can keep fermenting this type of carbohydrate. So whenever we feed this friendly bacteria, we're, we're, we're giving them more sustenance and we're making sure that these good guys thrive whereas the harmful bacteria is not getting any food. It's not getting any of the foods that they would feed on, which are typically sugar, artificial sweeteners, and other components of food that are 
typically found in less healthy stuff. So the benefit of having the good bacteria thrive is that you're going to see less IBS symptoms, so less bloating, less gas, less digestive discomfort. And so if you're worried about adding fiber and you're thinking that, oh my God, that's going to make me extremely gassy, you don't have to be worried. As long as you drink plenty of water and you prioritize these fermentable fibers, you're going to be good to go. You're going to be feeling full, but not bloated. The third and final benefit I want to talk about regarding adding fiber at breakfast is related to something called the second meal effect. This is referring to the ability of one meal, in our case breakfast, to change the increase in blood sugar and insulin after carbohydrates are consumed at the following meal. So say, for example, lunch. What we know is that eating these fermentable fibers in the morning make the body respond better to insulin for the rest of the day. So even at my next meal, I'm going to reap the benefits of that, of the food that I ate at breakfast, assuming I included the fermentable carbohydrates, and my my blood sugar will stay much better controlled throughout the rest of the day. So this is a big benefit because it essentially means that what you eat in the morning is going to set you up for a certain metabolic response for the rest of the day. So if you knew, for example, that eating a certain amount and type of fiber with your breakfast meal is going to help your body metabolize sugar better and reduce your insulin resistance, that's probably something that's going to help you lose weight long term. So it's definitely a huge benefit because now it would mean that after you eat a large meal or when you eat your next meal after breakfast, say lunch or a snack or even dinner, your body's going to be able to control your blood sugar very, very effectively and you're not going to walk around with elevated blood sugars that eventually are going to lead you to put pounds on. Every time we have a lot of sugar and a lot of insulin circulating in the blood, the body is going to convert it to fat because insulin is a hormone that tells the body to deposit fat. So you want to lower insulin as much as possible and get that blood sugar into the cells and not just circulating over and over again in your bloodstream. Good? All right, so let's take a couple minutes to summarize what we've covered today, and then I'll tell you about the freebie I created to go along with this episode. I want to go over five key takeaways that I want you to have from today's show. The first one is that adding breakfast without adjusting the rest of your daily calories will likely not help you lose weight. Number two is that if you're currently eating breakfast and gaining weight, don't omit it. Take a look at the rest of your food intake, specifically the amount of fiber and protein that you eat in every meal, and see if that can be increased without increasing your calorie intake. Number three is that a breakfast containing at least 20, but ideally 30, grams of protein and 10 grams of fiber can be highly beneficial for weight loss, reducing insulin resistance, and controlling blood sugar. Number four is that if you use a fasting strategy, like intermittent fasting, you want to aim for a 14 to 16 hour fast that begins with ending dinner by 6 p.m. and resuming eating around 9 a.m. And number five is consider making your breakfast the largest meal of your day. This is actually something that goes along well with ending your feeding window early in the night before since you'll likely be ready for a full meal in the morning. 
And you can get started on all of these things by going ahead and downloading my Proven Path to Weight Loss free guide. It's a five-step starter kit that will teach you how to put together balanced meals that are slim and satisfying and can come together very quickly and easily. There's a lot of other great advice and tips in that guide, so make sure that you grab a copy. You can go to www.dafnachazen.com forward slash free. And as I said, I created a special guide for today's episode that's called the Balanced Protein Shake Builder. It's a guide to putting together the right mix of ingredients so that your morning shake contains the right nutrition and tastes great. So if you're someone who likes protein shakes, but you're not sure exactly what the right composition should be, go ahead and check it out. You can find it at www.dafnachazen.com forward slash shake or through the link in the show notes below. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave me a positive review below. It would mean the world to me and takes less than a minute. It also helps more people find my show, which I would really, really love. You can also subscribe to this show below so that you can get notified when new episodes come out each week. All right, have a great week, everyone, and I will see you soon. Bye for now.